0: Hello and welcome to Value-Driven Data Science, brought to you by Genevieve Hayes Consulting. I'm your host, Dr. Genevieve Hayes, and today I'm joined by guest Rob Deutsch to talk about identifying data science use cases for your business.
1: Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Um, Listeners might not know this, but we're recording this after you've released the first couple of podcasts, which I've had a a chance to listen to. So I can say I'm a a fan and I'm really honoured to actually be on the show as a guest. So thank you for having me.
0: I am very happy to have you here today. And Rob is a man of many talents. In addition to being the Chief Operating Officer of AccuShaper, a company that uses advanced modeling algorithms and software to build better surfboards faster. He's also a data science consultant with Parity Analytic and previously founded Boxer, which built software for creating better financial models. And because of the diversity of his roles, he has had a lot of experience in identifying data science use cases in places that might not have ever crossed your mind. Like for example, surfboard design. So how about we start start with that?
1: Sure. Sure. What would you like to know about surfboard design and how it, how it links to data analytics?
0: Well, And, and that's interesting. Uh, when I was first introduced to you, Rob, um, so I was introduced to Rob by Amanda, who is our guest on episode one. And I remember checking your LinkedIn profile before we first met and thinking I must have the Rob, wrong Rob Deutsch because <laughs> i couldn't figure out how someone could go from data science to being um, chief operating officer of a surfboard design company. But then it turned out it was the right Rob George. So I suppose that's the question that is probably on a lot of, uh, that a lot of the listeners are probably wondering about. Um, How do you go from being a data scientist to making surfboards?
1: Uh, I see. So Quite a lot of skills I found from my data science background are more broadly applicable in my career. Um, so, to start, to start with, uh, at Aku Shaper, what we do is we make software for designing better boards faster. That's the, the surfboard design and the, uh, the toolpaths that are needed to eventually cut that surfboard out of a block of foam. So behind that is a surfboard model, a 3D model that needs to be modified. It's very mathematical when it comes to generating surf parts, that's, sorry, tool paths, I should say, that's a very mathematical process as well, which my background in data analytics, data science transfers very nicely to. We're also a SaaS company, software as a service, like like so much software is these days, you pay a, a monthly fee and you get access to the software. Um, And as part of that monthly fee, we're continually uh, improving the software as well. But it also means that we get a lot of usage data about how people are are using the software, what they're doing with it and how they're using it. So there's tremendous opportunity for us to utilize that, um, to examine that, to analyze that, to uh, help improve the software and help our customers improve their, uh, their boards, build them faster, build them better. Lastly, when it comes to actually running the company, um, background in data science means I I like to think I'm pretty finely attuned to, to problem solving, which are running a company generally involves a lot of. And in data science, you spend a, a lot of time thinking about the problem you're working on, making sure you're tackling the, the right problem, and making sure you're tackling it in a smart way. You always try and kind of exist the layer above where you actually are and saying, is this the right path I'm taking, which is a another really useful uh, skill that's transferred well into, into running our Shaper.
0: I think that's interesting what you're saying about understanding problems. Um, when I think of data science problems, I usually sort of think of any data science project is actually two interrelated problems. So you've got your business problem and you've got your data problem. So the business problem might be um, how do we get more customers and your data problem might be um, how do you build a predictive model? And I think it would be nice if people came to you with well-defined data science projects that clearly specified each of these problems. But, I mean, have you ever had anyone actually come to you with a nicely scoped out data science project?
1: You know, in my uh, in my career, I don't think that has ever been the case. Uh, usually in my experience, and I'd be interested to hear about your experience, Genevieve, people are, are never really sure about the problem they're trying to solve. And for what it's worth, I, I don't think that's necessarily unique to data science. Um, I grew up, so to speak, in consulting companies. So doing um actuarial consulting, so helping companies to manage their financial risk, and also the the data analytics consulting, the data science consulting. And just as a general rule of thumb, in this kind of corporate consulting world, it's kind of assumed that the, the client who you're working with doesn't necessarily know what their problem is. And part of the value you bring is helping them to find that problem, to find the biggest problem and a pathway to a solution.
0: So do you have a process for identifying and understanding those problems and finding that pathway?
1: Gee, that's, that's kind of the million dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So like I said, I grew up in consulting companies and they invest some, some time, effort and resources into kind of teaching you some, some good tools you can use to, um, to, to identify these problems, to solve the problems. Um. I think data science, though, in particular poses some unique problems um, because the opaqueness of the, um, the techniques themselves and what's possible often isn't common knowledge. And so especially when you're in the, uh, the solution development phase. Um, you can find that the customer, and I use the word customer very broadly. I'm kind of using customer to refer to someone who has a problem and they, they think they want to solve it with data science. So it could be an actual customer, it could be your boss, it could be another business department. But either way, that customer generally doesn't have a good understanding about what is possible, what isn't possible with data science, and beyond that, how much time and effort things generally take. So what I'm personally a fan of, and uh I actually heard this best stated by a consultant at EY um, who gave a talk on the process that they use when they run workshops uh, with their clients, data workshops to try and extract value from their data. And they say that they have a rule in these workshops, which I'm, I'm sure they get paid a lot of money to hold these workshops with the uh, boards, with senior management. But the, uh, the rule is that in the discussions about potential opportunities uh, with data, they're not allowed to talk about data itself. They're not allowed to talk about what data is available, how clean the data is, whether it's expensive, because they want to purely focus on the problem to be solved first, on the assumption that once you properly identify a problem that could hypothetically be solved with data, that's when you can start getting into the nuts and bolts. Because I think it's very easy to to go down the, uh, the garden path, so to speak, when you're looking at our problems and database solutions or data science solutions um, to just say, oh, look, a certain bit of data is gonna be very difficult to get, or we just know it's gonna be messy. For example, it could be a piece of data that your company's been gathering over the past 10 or 20 20 years to varying levels of uh, refinement. Um, But if you think too much about that, you might end up stopping uh, evaluating a problem, uh, not really thinking about just how valuable it would be to solve that problem, and consequently you might find out that it's worthwhile to take the time to solve your data problem, so to speak, to, to clean up the data, to, uh, to source some data, to buy some external data. Um, yeah, you really want to be mindful uh, that if you get too deep on the weeds, you might, uh, you might cut off a valuable project before you actually get started.
0: Yeah, that's actually an interesting point, Rob, because I've actually found the opposite in practice. Uh, What I've actually found is organisations often start by focusing on the data that they do have and focusing on that too much um, at the expense of the business problem. Um, So, for example, an organisation might have one particular um, data set And they become obsessed with coming up with a data science project that arises from that data set, even though, even if it doesn't actually solve any business problems that are of interest to them?
1: Absolutely. Um, I've seen the exact same thing. And that's, I think, another danger point that you can have if you spend too long thinking about the data itself, as opposed to the the business problem you have, or specifically your business strategy, you know, if you're in senior leadership. Um, And I think it's somewhat linked to that eternal question of our company strategy, business strategy of, do you try and think up a bunch of good ideas for your company and then investigate each one to see which one might work best? Or do you go for a more precise, um, more precise method where you speak to a customer, for example, and you find out what their biggest problem is and you try and find a solution to that. Um, I think if you speak to different business leaders, you'll get different, uh, different answers. There's whole books written on each of those two approaches, the uh, scatter gun approach versus the uh, precision scalpel approach. Um, and I think the, the same thing just exists in, in data science. And there's, again, there's no, there's no perfect solution. But there are things to be mindful of and common traps that you can avoid if um, if you're careful.
0: And what common traps have you found?
1: So I think the ones we've talked about so far are by far the most common. It's either assuming a piece of data isn't available yeah. so you stop thinking about it, then there is just thinking too much about a particular set of data. Mm. Um, a third notable one, though, actually it's a very good question because the third notable one is... um getting too excited about complex data science techniques, buzzwords and the like. I am a big proponent that the simplest solution is quite often the best solution. Um, That old adage of be as simple as possible, but no simpler. So I try not to get too excited about it, but I'm quite fond about Excel as a data science tool or Tableau for visualization, because especially if you're an organization that's still uh, maturing uh, in your data science process, um, a lot of low-hanging fruit can be picked up relatively easily with with simple tools, simple techniques.
0: I was actually talking to the manager of an analytics team at a... um... Organization that has relatively low data maturity. Um, and her team has only just got an SQL server and only just got an, I think it's Power BI, but up until recently, they have been working entirely in Excel. And it sounds like they've actually been doing some reasonably good data science. They can still identify trends in data, identify anomalies, and answer any of the questions that her senior managers have to ask.
1: Which is really the most important thing, answering questions. And the simplest, quickest way to get to those answers is is usually the best way.
0: And um, because her team only had Excel to work with up until recently, uh, they actually spent a lot of time doing uh, what she calls intelligence so actually speaking to the um owners of this data and understanding things so they weren't focusing obsessively on data science techniques they are seeing them as part of this broader job which also involved um speaking to people
1: that's that's really interesting because i i find that when speaking to someone that's when you discover what the real business problem they're trying to solve is. Because usually there's there's a hierarchy because all businesses at the end of the day, they want to increase their revenue and decrease their expenses. (laughs) They Mm. want to increase their profit. But that's not a a problem that data science can solve directly. Usually you have to go a few layers into the onion, so to speak, before you find a problem you can solve with data science. Um, And sometimes it's not necessarily what you think. Um, Usually it is. Sometimes it isn't, and when it's not, that's when you can spend the most amount of time, effort, resources, expense going down a rabbit hole that provides no no results, which is not what anyone wants. Um, I was actually listening to a podcast totally not related to data science on the weekend um, where the host claimed that Metallica um, is not in the business of selling selling music because these days apparently there's not a lot of money to be made by selling CDs or even by streaming. Um, I believe and please don't quote me on this, I'm not an expert, I'm purely repeating uh, the point of views of this podcast host, that bands tend to make money by doing live performances. So it was interesting because I would think, well, if I was a data science trying to help Metallica, for example, to, um, to, to increase their, their profit, um, I'd have to find a way to get more people at their, at their concerts. But there, there's some nuance there. Because apparently, and again, please don't quote me on this, I'm uh, repeating some, uh, some facts I heard on a podcast, so please verify independently. Apparently, Metallica makes more money from selling t-shirts than they do from actually selling tickets to their to their gigs. So Metallica isn't actually in the business of uh, selling music or selling tickets, they're in the business of of selling t-shirts. So that would be a really interesting challenge for a data scientist who's been employed to uh to help them increase their profit because when you get down to the nuts and bolts of their business, it could very well be that really what you need to do is find more people who come to their concerts to buy T-shirts. Just increasing ticket sales isn't going to increase their profit if you get a whole bunch of people to come who aren't going to buy T-shirts.
0: I've actually heard a similar thing in the fashion industry. So, you know, how you have all these fashion houses like Chanel and um, Gucci, uh, Alexander McQueen, etc. And how, you know, each year at Paris Fashion Week or New York Fashion Week, you know, they've got all these latest fashions and the uh, models going down the runway and all that. And so you'd think that Chanel, for example, is in the business of selling clothes. But apparently um, where fashion houses make the majority of their money is through selling perfume. Wow. Yeah. So... Chanel, for example, is not in the business of selling clothes. It's in the business of selling perfume.
1: That is fascinating. I would not have thought that. Um, I've done some reading into luxury brands recently, and it's a it's a fascinating industry because um, I think I believe that one of the other challenges they have is that part of the value they bring to their customers is the exclusivity. Mm. Um, a Chanel bag, a Ferrari part of the value, part of the reason pay big money for it is because not any, no one else can have it. They want to be one of the few people that can have it. So mm-hmm. as a brand, if they want to grow their revenue and there's a lot of uh, uh, publicly listed um, luxury goods company now, so they're very interested in uh, growing their revenue to uh, mm-hmm. support their uh, shareholders. H- how do you grow the revenue of a company whose value proposition is that not everyone can buy it? And I sometimes just stop and think about yeah, what it would be to be a data scientist working for some of these luxury companies.
0: Well, I think I assume a lot of the business models are based on um, keeping the numbers of items low, so that then you can mark them up massively, because everyone wants to get I don't know what is it a Birkin bag or something. Um, the, that type of bag that everyone wants.
1: I'm the wrong person to confirm whether that's the right, uh, the right <laughs> brand or not.
0: <laughs> I think I think they're Hermes ba- bags anyway. Yes. Uh, but I was actually reading an article in the newspaper relatively recently. I was talking about the second hand market for luxury goods. Mm-hmm. So um, apparently, there's websites that are like eBay for um, used luxury items. And some of the big fashion houses support them, and you can actually resell your bag or scarf or whatever back to that fashion house, and then they'll um, uh, forward them onto this eBay for luxury goods. But some of them are adamantly opposed to having a secondhand market for their goods because it reduces the scarcity of them and Mm -hmm. makes it harder for them presumably to jack up the prices.
1: Which I think is all demonstrative of how, um, if you're a data scientist working for an organization, it really pays to be kind of intimately familiar with the other uh, problems that organization faces. And look, maybe it's not the data scientists themselves that's gonna be intimately familiar with the problems, but you, you need a multidisciplinary team then. Someone who is intimately familiar with the, uh, with the nature of the business and can help provide directions. So otherwise you're gonna end up recommending that a, a luxury good company uh, lower their prices to sell a lot more uh, goods. Um, generate a lot more uh, revenue, but that's not going to work out in practice because um, no one's going to end up buying it. Your models are going to fall flat on their faces.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, the way you've put it and the way I see it, there are a lot of people involved in defining any data science project that you're dealing with. What do you see as being the role of the business in defining or scoping those projects versus the role of the data scientist?
1: It's it's a tough question to answer because I think there's a lot of variables that go into that decision and no two projects are the same. Um, One of, or a few, there are a few aspects that make data science more complicated in that context when it comes to our defining and scoping the project. And I think being mindful of these challenges is the first step to getting a, a smooth definition and scoping phase. The, the first is the knowledge gap about what's possible with data science. So there's this great um, XKCD comic. um I'm not sure how familiar you are with our XKCD, but it's kind of a web webcomic. Yeah. You're, you're nodding at yes. me. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> there's this great one from like 2014. Oh, so not that long ago. Um, where it's a single cell and a a customer is asking a programmer to build an app, but he's like, the app should ask the user to to take a picture and then identify whether the picture was taken in a national park. And the programmer's like, yep, absolutely. We'll use the GPS, we can do that. Then the customer goes, and it should work out whether the uh, the picture is of a bird. And the uh, other programmer responds, okay, I need six years and a team of five PhD students. And it's that, that differentiator between it's very easy for a, a smartphone app to work out where a picture was taken and it's that much more difficult to work out if there's a picture of a bird. Um, now, these days, funnily enough, it's much more uh, realistic to actually have some AI to tell whether it's a picture of a bird. Back in 2014, that wasn't the case. But the, the lesson I think we can take from that little comic and the, uh, the truth it was pointing out was that to the layman who knows their business very well, data science is a bit of a mystery and it's not necessarily obvious about what's quick and easy and what's time consuming and expensive. So I think when it comes to defining a project, scoping a project, um, the role of the data scientist at least is to explain in clear terms what is possible, what isn't possible. Um, I think also both people in that equation, both the other business which people could be very plural, but, you know, the business and the data scientists, um, collaboration as early as possible, and I think both sides are responsible for this, is very beneficial when it comes to to defining and scoping data science projects. If any one of those two sides of the fence, so to speak, uh, go too far without thinking about the other one, you're likely not to end up with the success that you want in the project. Um, lastly, I, I think a good benchmark is uh, how much time is being spent talking about the problem versus the, uh, the solution. Um, when it comes to data science projects, I'm kind of a fan of that uh, that Einstein quote, which I'm not necessarily, act, not necessarily sure. He actually said,, oh, so maybe it's misattributed, but you know, if someone gives me an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend uh, 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about the solution. I think there's some truth in that for data science.
0: I think that might have been Abraham Lincoln, actually.
1: That could totally be the case. Totally be the case.
0: But uh, everything has been attributed to Einstein.
1: (laughs) Makes it much easier uh, to be or not to be Albert Einstein.
0: Uh, If we say anything important in this podcast, it will be attributed to Albert Einstein.
1: You can just replace the uh, the name of the guest on this podcast as Albert Einstein, I suppose.
0: Every (laughs) every podcast I have, my guest is Albert Einstein. (laughs)
1: Sounds uh, sounds brilliant. Um, out of curiosity, what's what's your experience with the uh, the role of uh, business and data scientists when it comes to scoping a data project?
0: It's interesting. I think you know, like you, I had the originally had a background in actuarial, and I found when I was doing actuarial roles, um, businesses were. Um, in the habit of talking to the actuaries and had a lot of respect for the actuaries. So it was quite common for me to be brought into meetings where I would be asked, uh, what's my opinion of this? And the businesses um, usually had some understanding of what was and what wasn't possible in the actuarial sphere. So that those were very much collaborative projects where everyone had a voice in the problem and solution and we tended to get very good results one thing i've found with data science is i i think this is because data science is still um early in um its life Um, is businesses don't have that same level of respect for data scientists as they have for actuaries. And you often get a lot more of a, I guess, what you call a command and control type relationship existing between senior management and the um, data science team, where senior management will often say, you know, we need a solution for this uh, without providing the context and without inviting the data scientists to the meetings. So that and that is not a good um, outcome and they often are less willing to have those meetings with the data scientists because um, they haven't been conditioned that the data scientists can add value as much as with the actuaries. I assume that will change over time.
1: It's a very interesting comparison and you know I suppose in the actuarial sphere you know we both operated in that sphere and our uh, a very notable thing about it is there's a lot of regulation laws and government oversight about insurance companies, for example. Mm. So everyone is on board with getting actuaries involved and actuaries are essentially um, data scientists. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're right, when you talk about more generalized data science, there is a little bit less of that understanding. And I, I see the same thing that you seeing in that command and control like atmosphere. <laughs> but similarly, in my experience, I've seen a And look, I'm sure there's some overlap with your experience as well. Sorry, just to to clarify, but um, I've seen tremendous success being achieved when boards, when senior leadership, when anyone in the organisation recognises the advantage of including a data scientist early in the conversation and also talking about the context of what they're trying to achieve because that becomes incredibly important when identifying the problem and also what might be the best solution for that problem.
0: I was reading a book over the weekend and they were talking about the importance of um, technological literacy by senior management and by boards. So we often talk about how it's important that a data scientist has domain knowledge in order to be able to provide a good solution to a problem. But they're saying that a board or a senior manager needs to have um, go- at least a high-level understanding of what is possible with data science, um, what it means to code a solution, um, uh, what the strengths and weaknesses are of um, the various technologies that are relevant to the organisation, etc. cetera, um, so that they can have those conversations with the data scientists and um, they can make informed decisions in their roles.
1: A lot of lot of truth behind that. Um, I think also if we're talking about the role of the data scientists at the moment, like where we are in the uh, in the development of data science as a discipline in businesses, is that the data scientist more so now than perhaps in the future needs to be capable of helping to hold senior management's hand, so to speak, hmm. through these discussions, through these issues. Um, because I imagine it's almost a little bit like when uh, when computers were becoming more prevalent in businesses. It didn't just happen overnight. I'm sure a lot of business leaders thought for quite a long time that uh, a big piece of paper ledger with a pen was the way to I keep track of your accounting. Um, but with enough technological advancement and the right people to kind of guide them through the change, now it just, it's just—it's crazy prospect to keep track of your accounting, your CRM, or anything by paper. You do it all online. You do it all on a computer. And I think we'll see the same—the same progress happen with data science.
0: Well, it's interesting because um, I think it was about a year ago. I was having a conversation with a man who worked in the insurance industry. Um, during his working life, but he's now retired. And he saw um, that period of time where the organisation was introducing emails and he said there were some senior managers who didn't want to use computers and they actually had their um, uh, assistants print out all of their emails so they could read them. (laughs) So that's sort of like um, you know what you're describing, having a data scientist holding the hand of senior manager, management. Um, they might not be able to print out the emails, but there must be something that they can do to help them um, make the move into the next century.
1: That's that would be fascinating. Um, gee, I'd love to wake up in the morning and uh get to my home office and find a stack of emails printed for uh, for me to read. Um, I do also think it's worth noting though, that when it comes to data science, sometimes data science isn't the right solution to a problem. Sometimes there is a, a low-tech better solution to a problem. Like I, I know uh, when I work with, uh, with Aku Shaper, uh, a business problem might pop up. There's something I don't know, which I suddenly realize I are. I have to know. And being a data scientist, my first instinct is Do I have some data available? Can I throw an algorithm at it to get me an answer? But it's not uncommon for the answer to my problem to be call a customer, ask them, call 12 customers and do a mini survey. Don't even use any statistical rigor, just kind of feel the room, so to speak. And I think it's very much a balancing act because it's very easy just to go too far onto the uh, the gut feel side of things when data science would actually provide a, a more thorough, more rigorous, more dependable answer but nonetheless, sometimes that simple way is the way to go.
0: It's interesting because I I actually heard an alternative point of view on that from someone I was speaking to recently. And he was saying that um, the pandemic has actually accelerated the move into data science because a lot of organisations prior to the pandemic um, could reasonably make the assumption that the past is a good indicator of the future. So because the senior management had lived through the past, um, they could make judgments based on their own experiences and gut instincts. However, um, following the pandemic, the past is no longer a good indicator of the future and no one has, you know, decades-long um, experience. So in order for businesses and senior management to make effective decisions, they actually now need to look at the data because their gut instinct no longer uh, works.
1: A lot of logic in that, that makes a lot of sense, uh, absolutely. Um, I do think there are some circumstances though where you can hope and wish for like data to exist or data to be as reliable as you would uh, you would like it to be, but it's not always the case. Um, for example, uh, there was a time when I was working for a consulting firm in a data science capacity where we were looking at retail outlets for a large consumer brand. And we were trying to identify a strategy going forward for this brand's retail outlet. So which should be consolidated, which should be split up. So it involves some geographic data, for example, it involves um, financial data, it involves some economic data, some our uh, census data. And what we discovered in that project was that there just wasn't quite as much insight in the data as we would have liked. The state of the financials were not really in the right granularity to provide the direction we were after. Um, The same was said of the census data. Um, The geographic data was perfect accuracy, but just didn't have the info that really provided business insight. So it was just an example of where we did have to not resort, but I rely a little bit more on um on gut instinct, on human feel, because as much as we hoped and wished it, the data just didn't provide the answers we were looking for.
0: It's very interesting. Changing the topic a bit. Um, one of the things that um, uh, I've found throughout my career, and you've probably found throughout um, your career, is that... When you're working with people from a diverse range of backgrounds, um, they can often approach data problems from completely different angles than you could ever imagine. Um, is that something that you found?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I, <laughs> uh, so I think I've had a similar experience to you, and I feel very fortunate to be able to have uh, worked with such a variety of people from uh, from different backgrounds. Um, one of the more interesting was, um, when I, when I worked for I Deloitte in Japan, um, it was in a newly formed, um, data science team within financial advisory. Um, and I worked a lot with people that came from an investigative background. So I think kind of law enforcement, mm-hmm. um, government intelligence type thing. Uh, and they actually came from a very non-technical background, more like psychology uh, degrees and the like, and what was fascinating was to see that when they first looked at data, they kind of looked through the data into what story must be behind the data. Their mind didn't go to um, means, averages, statistics, to generalise linear models or AI or ML or anything like that, but like the story behind the data, and. It was just really fantastic to work with them and learn a little bit about the advantages of of that approach. Um, And similarly, because they came from non-technical backgrounds, they were upskilling very quickly in SQL, in um, Python, in Tableau, in visualization. And they asked a lot of elementary questions. And it was kind of interesting to see that your gut feel to respond to those questions is to give the standard response. Like that's almost like why we define them as elementary questions. But when you just stop and take a step back, you realize there's a lot of logic in what they're asking. And it's actually an opportunity to, uh, to reconsider about whether you're doing things in the best way. Um, so some examples of where that used to pop up is where we use the mixed technologies on certain projects, uh, both R and Python. Generally, not necessarily the best thing to do, but at the time we were relying on some some R packages that uh, had some statistical uh, methods that we really needed for this analysis. And we were using Python because we were a little bit more adept at that um, for doing the initial data munging, just preparing it, cleaning it up uh, for the analysis. And that seems perfectly logical. We built a very uh, dependable, robust uh, pipeline. But speaking with a non-technical person, are uh, highlighted some things we hadn't quite thought through as much as we could have. Um, and it was a very interesting perspective that they shared.
0: I found uh, I my one of my first bosses was a lawyer, and I found that she asked some very interesting questions when I presented work to her. So she was a very intelligent woman. She just didn't come from a technical background. And what was interesting was there would be certain things that I'd say that she'd clearly um, not have any interest in because they were just giving her the technical nuts and bolts of the problem, and she didn't need to know that. But then there'd be certain things that she'd be asking a lot of questions about. And it really helped me to understand, you know, what are the important parts of my work to someone who has to take that work and present it to a stakeholder of some
1: sort. 100%. There's a, a lot of benefits to working with non technical people, non data scientists, uh, and you can generate a lot of insight from that and uh, improve your uh, data science function considerably. Um, I've also, had the opportunity to work with some uh, entrepreneurs, um, people who are starting businesses, looking to start a business. Um, and it's really interesting to see, like, the amount of optimism they tend to have about data science. An optimism I don't always share, but I think there's a lot of value in uh, being optimistic, Uh, thinking about what might be possible that your gut tells you might not be possible. Um, Yeah, is is that something?
0: It actually resonates with something that um, my previous guest was talking about, which is that a lot of... um, Startups are actually more technologically advanced than more developed companies, even though the startups have less data and less money, um, because they're looking at ways in which they can use data, and that's the only way they can get an advantage. Whereas, um, I don't know, your big um, companies that have existed for a hundred plus years, they might think that they can get by without using data.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I think another advantage that. Uh, perhaps one might say a good startup would have is that they tend to be hyper-focused on the problem they're trying to solve. Mm. They're very clear about it. Uh, They live and breathe it. They think about it every day and they're committed to finding a solution. So they'll explore avenues that are perhaps less well-trodden and discover uh, processes, techniques, opportunities that might, uh, might escape you otherwise if you are Get a bit too too deep in your own way of thinking. So yeah,
0: yeah, I've 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 loved um, any conversations that I've had with startup owners, um, and probably because of those reasons that you've mentioned, mm-hmm. I think the other thing I like about speaking to people who are in startups is um, because their organisations tend to be smaller and focused on. One particular product, as you said, um, they're not bogged down by all this red tape that you get in massive organisations,
1: or sometimes even not so massive organisations. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Um, absolutely, a lot of advantages to that. And um, I recently read on Lean Startup, which is a little bit of a a bible in the uh, other startup community, and it talks a lot about the advantages of testing your most critical hypotheses as early in the process as possible. So you've got a great idea. You're gonna use data. You're gonna use algorithms to solve a problem. Um, but you have to make certain assumptions before you get started on the project. You're making assumptions about the data being clean enough about the uh, there actually being an, a reasonable answer in the data. Like you might find that the uh, the answer you get is just too high variance. You can't have much faith that really that's uh, That's the way things are going to continue. Um, But if you test all these things early, you're probably likely to get to an acceptable result quicker, which startups tend to excel at. Uh,
0: What you were saying about assumptions, that actually reminds me of something that happened to me many years ago on one of my jobs. And um, I was um, doing work for a particular client of the organization that I worked for. And I'd met with the managers in that client organisation and I was doing a particular type of analysis um, that required um, the use of insurance claims data. And um, they promised me they had tons and tons of data that I'd be able to use. And I said, okay, this is great. And um, let's see it. And they, uh, they took me to a storage room in this office and opened the door and this storage room was filled floor to ceiling with boxes of paper files. Wow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I looked at it I said, look, I cannot go through all those files and digitise them and I can't do anything unless I've got this in an electronic form. Mm-hmm. And then this manager looked at this other poor man who was one of his um, underlings and said, oh, no, no, that's okay. That's what this guy's going to do. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Wow. Which just goes to show that sometimes the value you get from your data science project is worth investing that time in the first place. <laughs> um, you know, in that particular case, I don't know whether it was or wasn't, but uh, sometimes, sometimes it definitely is.
0: Well, the irony was that the data they eventually gave us was actually stuff that we already had in our um, system and um, it couldn't do anything more than what we'd already been doing. So so that poor guy who had to go through all the files, um, he didn't actually add any
1: value. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What a thankless task.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you've probably heard that statistic that, what is it, 85% of all data science projects fail. What do you do to maximise the probability of success of a data science project?
1: Um, Gee, the first thing that comes to mind is stakeholder buy-in, especially because data science projects can so often involve Um, people from multiple disciplines, multiple departments in an organisational context, if you don't have buy-in from everyone, you're likely to hit a roadblock at some point. So what that would mean, for example, is buy-in from IT to make sure you have the other technology you need. Mm. Buy-in from the owner of the data in the business to make sure they'll actually provide you the data you need. Mm. Um, Buy-in from the project sponsor, like the end beneficiary of the work, you wanna make sure that they are committed to uh, to the value that the other work is gonna bring them. You also need to take a moment just to think about, well, does my business have lawyers? Do I need to get their buy-in? Is there any uh, concerns that uh, what we're doing uh, might have some legal implications? Um, Going beyond buy-in though, um, remaining focused on the key result you're trying to achieve. And I think there's some subtlety in that as well. Like to to go back to that simplified example we were talking about, um, where a business wants to increase profit either by increasing revenue or decreasing expenses, you might go down the rabbit hole and uh, say, well, really what what this business wants is more repeat buyers. Maybe it's an e-commerce business, for example. And they've got a huge database of people who have bought their products in the past. And they're pretty certain that the way to get more profit is to get more repeat buyers, get them to come back. Um, I find data science projects go really well when you can help, oh sorry, when you can distill a certain metric that you're going for. Because the 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 description of increase repeat buyers, there's many different ways to interpret that. There's very many different ways to measure that. And each of them might have their subtleties. Um, For example, if you use too loose of a definition, um, you could include people who bought a product 10 years ago. And by this point in time, they've already forgotten about your company, they've forgotten about their product, and they're really much more like a new customer. And so your your data science project is going going to start to get a little bit confused between what activities are generating new customers versus which are bringing back old customers. So you might want to define a particular metric uh, as to what it means to bring back repeating customers, such as anyone who's bought the product in the past 12 months.
0: Mm.
1: I think it helps to uh, come up with a, a benchmark as well about what it's been in the past. So you might say last year and the year before and the year before that, between 5 and 10% of customers came back for repeat purchases. We want to make that 20%. And I think being really clear on that metric versus outcome how they link together and which one you're explicitly targeting uh, is a pretty important uh, factor of uh, maximising that probability of success.
0: And I think this is something that the big consultancies have got nailed with their management consulting businesses, and it's something that data science can learn from them.
1: Exactly, exactly. So at the end of the day, um, as data scientists, where are we, technical people, I think we tend to have a lot of passion for what we do and it's very easy to get lost in the joy of building amazing models that we can point at and go look at how amazing this model is. It uses the latest and greatest techniques, it's got the uh, most refined pipeline I could come up with but that doesn't necessarily resonate with business uh, business leaders. You need to be able to point to a particular metric and uh, with a cause and effect explanation as to how you have improved that metric.
0: One of the things I was thinking about recently that I think might be getting in the way of, um, data science, um, data science project success is, um, you know, if I look at the actuarial and statistics projects that I worked on before going into data science, a lot of those were projects that were based on very clearly defined use cases. Mm. Um, so for example, um, one of the jobs I had was as the pricing manager at WorkSafe. So um, obviously the main task of that job was um, calculating insurance premium prices. So pricing is a very clearly defined actuarial use case. And um, later on, I took on another role at WorkSafe, which was their statistical case estimate manager, and that centred around a particular predictive model of the future costs of insurance claims. So those were very clearly defined use cases, and I'd say you'd have that with a lot of actuarial roles. Uh, Whereas with data science, we don't have these standard use cases in place yet. So people, a lot of data scientists, they're not being hired um, to perform a particular function around a use case. They're being hired um, basically as internal consultants. And I'm guessing that eventually those use cases will be defined. But um, do you have any thoughts around that?
1: That's a really interesting one. Um, it reminds me of an experience I had uh, consulting to um, a startup company dealing in um, fast-moving retail goods, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and they were—did I did I mention they were a startup? Yes. <laughs> a, a startup company, and they were doing relatively well. So quite a lot of data on sales being generated. Mm-hmm. And they realised that there was a need, uh, like you were saying before, to do some analytics on the data. So um, I was called in at the early stages um, with the uh, with the managing director at our Parity Analytics. This was done through uh, through them to have a chat about what they were trying to achieve, and we got a very long list of what was on their mind—a very long list, <laughs> all the different questions, all the different avenues that could be explored, and. The biggest challenge there from a data analytics, data science perspective, especially given that really um, they were a startup. This wasn't something where it's going to be like a year's consulting project full-time or anything like that. So the challenge was to, to hone in on what the most important question was. Something that could be solved in a handful of weeks. And once we had that one question, which in this case was um was about whether their customers were gaming the system, so to speak. There was some implied optionality in the way that they sold their products, uh, being the price of these products uh, change rapidly. Um, customers could place an order, then cancel the order and reorder at a better price if a better price came up later. Okay. So the question that seemed to be the, the most important ended up being the most important was: Are customers taking advantage of this? Honing in on that being the most important question and coming up with a metric to measure that was by far the the most important part of the project. Linking back to what you're saying, because then there was a definite um, use case for the data science, something that everyone, data scientist and management customer could point to as the problem being worked on. And everyone was clear on the value that was bringing
0: one ca- way I've seen use cases coming about with data science is with the um, uh, rapid explosion of Power BI in organisations. Mm. So I mean, I think every organisation is now getting Power BI or um, one of its equivalents. And people are now understanding, oh, yeah, um, data visualisation dashboards are something that we need. And people are just being hired as Power BI developers. So I guess the way I'm looking at it is um, you're looking at it from a consultant's point of view, but I was sort of thinking of it from a permanent employee's point of view. And I suspect it's um, to do with you know uh, the technology is defining the role in that case.
1: That's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I think there's a lot of overlap between these kind of two different perspectives Because I'd be tempted to say that that permanent employee in the organisation in one way or another is still kind of a consultant, especially if they're being hired to kind of build some data dashboards because we need data dashboards. We have Power BI and we have data. Mm -hmm. The role of that employee (laughs) essentially becomes to find out what problem needs to be solved because that hasn't necessarily been communicated clearly. Um, And I think that over the next few years, (laughs) like as if we're not already in it, but there's going to be increasing focus on not just having the right tools in a business, the right technology, but the right people and the right skills. Because it's very easy for anyone to sit down and learn Power BI. It tends to be a little bit more complicated to understand more about like a business way of thinking or a problem-solving way of thinking and how to use Power BI.
0: Well, now I've um, been told that what organisations are looking at is not so much whether someone understands a particular technique or a particular piece of technology. It's um, how well can they communicate technical concepts to um, non-technical audiences and how well can they um, extract information from those non-technical audiences in order to develop use cases. Um, so I guess um, storytelling and curiosity.
1: Which is another component of that uh, probability of success for a data science project as well, mm. I think, is that communication because um, I, I like to have a little bit of a pessimistic view being that like all projects goes different to what you expect. You can oh, have yeah. all the best intentions when you are, when you start off, but the realistic thing is there's going to be our speed bumps There's going to be our left turns, right turns, our unexpected discoveries. Mm. Um, And I think data science, just because it tends to be so technical, um, that that can be the death knell for some data science projects. If you can't clearly communicate what's going on, why it's going on, what the options are, and always linking it back to that uh, question of, well, what are we trying to achieve? What's the objective of this project?
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what we said from the right, from the beginning. You need to tie everything back to a business problem.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I'm a strong believer that it's not just uh, the project leaders or business management that needs to know this, but it's really good for everyone throughout the project, down to the most junior of analysts or the intern, to be clear mm-hmm. on what we're trying to achieve. Um, it saves heartache and it improves happiness, I would say, as well, if people see the impact they're planning in an organisation.
0: Well, I um, was a manager of a data science team for a while, a data science and actuarial team. And one of the things I always insisted on was anyone who was connected to a particular project always got to attend any meetings about that project, even Mm -hmm. if they were um, just the graduate or something, um, because it's the only way they will ever understand what's going on. I don't like those situations where it's just the manager who attends and then the manager passes the information on to the people under him or her.
1: Which reminds us just how critical a part of data science is becoming in an organisation as well, Um, being that, you know, I would say the communication within an organisation is one of the most important predictors of success, and that just translates perfectly over to the data science function, the data science team to the data science consultants. Um, communication is, is key and you always want to avoid as much as possible secondhand information or thirdhand information or, or fourthhand information. Um, gee, i that's, that's excellent. I'm um, yeah, glad to hear you were doing that.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we're getting close to time now. So I'm just gonna go through my last couple of questions. Uh, is there anything on your radar in the AI data and analytics space that you think is going to become important in the next, say, three to five years?
1: Hmm. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, and I think by far the most important, is the uh, the qualifications and skills of individuals in the industry. Unlike um, what we were talking about before, it's very easy to hire someone who, who knows Power BI. It's harder to hire someone who has the uh business mind, the problem solving mind to actually use that effectively. Um, I was recently for Akushaper looking for a software developer and um, as the nature of these things go in the modern world where it's listed on a website that makes it very easy for people to apply, I ended up getting a few applications from people who were looking for data science roles. Not software developer roles. But consequently, I got to kind of see a little bit about what the what the state of data science resumes are looking like at the moment. And what I saw was a lot of people who had very quickly retrained from a non-technical career into data science, into data analytics. And looking at their resume and kind of having the pretty solid data science background that I have, I was a bit nervous about some people's abilities to uh provide the value that organizations would expect from data analysts. And I think that given where we are as a business community on our data science and data analytics maturity cycle, which is still relatively low, it's hard for businesses to identify um, who's a good data scientist, who's a bad data scientist. Mm. And I think we're gonna see increasing focus on that in the next three to five years, exactly how that might look. I don't exactly know, but um, things like uh, qualifications are um, being offered by external institutes. Um, perhaps um, greater understanding are being generated by hiring managers to know what they're looking for in data science CVs, data science consultants, data science projects, and the like. Um, but yeah, I think the, the qualifications of the people who are working in the data science field. We'll see a lot more focus on that in the, in the next three to five years.
0: And are you saying you reckon we'll have more technical assessments being involved in data science recruitment?
1: Not necessarily assessments, but some proof points. So perhaps it will be assessments. Perhaps it will be our qualifications. Um, there's numerous organisations in Australia that will provide some form of uh, certificate, um, degree, of course, uh, when it comes to to data science. And I think a lot more businesses are just going to be asking the question of how do we know we're hiring the right people? And I guess beyond that, how do we make sure that we're keeping them up to date with the latest tools and techniques?
0: Yeah. And so that's... And I think um, people who are applying for data science roles want to be kept up to date with the latest tools and techniques. I mean, that's something that people look for when they're um, seeking a data science role. They want their boss to be investing in their career growth. So I think if you find a good data scientist, they will probably be on board with the employ- any endeavours on the part of the employer to help them maintain and build their skill set.
1: Exactly. And I think that as a business, you want the person as well, who's going to be interested in continuing to learn and develop themselves, mm-hmm. um, because that's just naturally going to be a far better, better data scientist.
0: Yeah, yeah it's nothing more frustrating than someone who um, doesn't want to learn new skills in a statistical or technological area, because as their existing skills become stale, um, it's hard to assign them to projects. <laughs>
1: very true and I think another component of that is as well as the, the business context mm. like um, I'm sure what we're going to see more of to, to link back to the original question you asked about a three to five year time horizon we're, we're going to see an increasing focus on um responsible use of data and gathering of data mm. so we're recording this a few weeks after a major Australia uh, telecommunications provider mm. had yes. a data leak mm. um, and I think it's not just going to be our governments or regulators focusing on this, but there's an increasing public awareness of data issues. Even if I think like five years ago from now, there was a lot of uh, controversy around Facebook and their handling and use of data and the public became very aware of it. And I started to notice, like of my friends, even non-technical people, people who don't think about data at all, started to ask questions about what algorithms are Apple using, Mm. Facebook using, um on their data mm. and now with this recent uh, data release data uh, <laughs> data breach data breach that's the word i'm looking mm. for with this recent data breach i think we're going to have a lot more questions from the public about um what's going on here what are you doing to safeguard my data why do you still have my driver's license five years after i was a customer those types of things
0: and um do these companies need to collect them in the first place
1: well, that's a very good question. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Because yeah, I'm, I'm one of the people who has to get a new driver's license because of that breach. So um, I have a lot of questions for that company.
1: You and me both, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm interested to see as well, like, what senior management's reactions is going to be to this. Because I, I have to deal with some of these problems in my role at Aku Shaper. Um, We're a relatively small company, but we still saw some amount of data and we want to protect our client's confidentiality and be in line with what their expectations are. Um, Yeah, but like bigger businesses where it's a little bit less uh, well-defined. When you're a small business, you tend to have like one one data set of customers. Um, It's very easy for a single person to think about it in five minutes and kind of ascertain where you are the bigger your organization gets, I think the more difficulty you have with keeping track of everywhere you happen to have some data.
0: Mm, I would agree with that. Mm. So what final advice would you give to organizations um, looking to maximize the value of their data?
1: I would start with focusing on the problem first and then the data second. Be clear on the problem you're trying to solve, the objective you're trying to get out of that. Then look at the data and work out how you can marry the two. And to that end, start talking with a data scientist early, even, mm. even before you've started talking about data, even when you're just talking about the problem, because a good data scientist will know how to, you know, just stick talking about the problem before they start talking about the other data, and they can help you to, uh, to find the right place.
0: Mm. Or even just talking, having a nice casual chat to the data scientist about their weekend and seeing where that goes. (laughs)
1: 100%. 100%. Anything that I can get a coffee.
0: Yeah. So um, this has been really great. Um, For listeners who want to learn more about you or get in contact, uh, what can they do?
1: LinkedIn is probably the the best way to to contact me. Um, I'm sure you'll throw a A link into the uh, the show notes perhaps the people can click on. Uh, Feel free to shoot me a message. Uh, If you want to design a surfboard, I'm the man to speak to. Uh, If you have any questions about data science, shoot them through. If there's a problem you're trying to tackle, let me know. Um, Yeah, LinkedIn is the way to go.
0: And I'll put a link to your LinkedIn page in the show notes.
1: Fantastic.
0: So um, thanks for joining me today, Rob.
1: Thank you so much, Genevieve. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Been
0: fantastic. And for those in the audience, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Genevieve Hayes, and this has been Value Driven Data Science brought to you by Genevieve Hayes Consulting.